This is Wrestling Informant Radio, WrestlingInformant.com. How's it going, everybody? My name is Gary Cantrell, joined as always by Chris McManamy. And Chris, today we've got a very, very special guest that's joining us for the show. Are you ready? Oh, I am ready. Let's do this. All right, let's welcome former SmackDown lead writer Alex Greenfield to the program. Alex, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm super psyched to be on the uh, to be at the new the new home. We're we're very psyched to have you. I told Chris off the air. I said, look. Alex has got to be our first guy. He always comes on and kills on the, on. He always killed on the shoot. Let's get him to come on the first wrestling informant radio, be the first guest and kill on here. So you've got a lot to live up to. There's a lot of pressure for you, Alex. I know. I know. I feel, I feel the pressure raining down on me. It's uh, uh, clearly I should have uh, inhaled some intoxicants before, <laughs> before getting on the radio. I know. Go to Iran, grab me, a drink, do whatever I, you need I, to do. This may be my first, uh, my first sober broadcast with you. So uh, we'll see what happens here. I'll, I'll, I'll get drinking as soon as I can. Oh, no. I'm, I'm worried now, Chris. Uh, he's Uh-oh. not had a drink. This could be a oh, problem. No. Yeah, th- this could really drive away some of our uh, listener base, our new listener base. <laughs> exactly. Now, before we get uh, started, uh, this is something we do every week, Alex, so don't feel uh, you know slighted here, but we must remind all the listeners here that WrestlingInformant.com has a membership option. Yes, Alex, maybe you've heard the WWE Network $9.99. I'm sure you heard that over and over again, correct? I've been wondering what their price point was. I was a little confused about it, but thanks for clarifying it for me. Well, they do say nine ninety nine, but we here at Wrestling Informant uh, have a different price in mind for our members. So if you know if you're listening to this, and if you're not a member of our website, we are the lowest uh, wrestling website price out there. Actually, we are only two ninety nine, and for that price, you get daily podcasts, uh, you get interviews. This is actually on the free show. We're going to offer this to everybody. Uh, but uh, you can hear some other interviews, our entire archive of all the interviews we've ever done with the shoot over the last seven years. You can get that for only two ninety nine. And you know what, Alex? The best part about this is there's no question about where the pricing is as far as how much the boys are getting. We get none of it, Alex. It all goes right back into the website to help make a better experience. And uh, we don't charge people to be ad-free. We are just ad-free for everyone. So that comes with a cost. And that's why we have a membership in place. That way, if you want to support what we do, if you like what we do, you can do that. And you can go today to WrestlingInformant.com slash membership. With the uh, plugs out of the way, let's begin the show, gentlemen. First thing I want to get to is uh, a little bit of news item that we had today on WrestlingInformant.com. Alex, this would definitely want to get your thoughts on this. Sci-Fi.com on their listing schedule page has SmackDown listed for Thursday, October 2nd, this is the first day that uh, supposedly, possibly, they may be moving to Thursdays. We have reached out to Sci-Fi's public relations and WWE's public relations. I'm sure they're not going to confirm anything to us, but uh, I'm sure WWE, they want to announce it. They want to make a big deal out of it, as they should. But Alex, just want to kind of get your opening thoughts on uh, what you think, if this is true, if SmackDown does go back to Thursdays and how that may affect the show. Well, I mean, remember, I was, it was during my, uh, my, my brief tortured reign as a uh, lead writer that we transitioned from Thursday to Friday. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it, it hurt us audience-wise. I mean, there, there's no question at all. Friday night, uh, particularly for the audience demographic, is really a tough spot for wrestling to be in because uh, people in you know, the 18 to 34 demographic tend to want to go out on Friday night. Yeah. So, um, in these days of, you know, DVRs, it's, uh, you know, with, with the, 
uh, day and day plus seven rating being as important as it is. I guess it's probably less important now than it was in, you know, 2006, 2005, whenever it was. Yeah. But uh, I think it's nothing but a good thing. It does, uh, it does lend um, some hopeful news to, um, to Spike TV moving TNA Impact to Wednesdays, though, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds like they had that, I don't know whether it was from the side of the WWE <laughs> trucks or a website <laughs> leak, yeah. but it sounds like they were aware of that. And if their idea was to get it out of the way of SmackDown, um, I think that gives some hope that instead of just this extension uh, running through the end of the year, maybe they're closer to a deal than everybody thought with Spike. And I think that'd be great. I mean, I've just sort of gotten into TNA since they started running the New York shows from earlier in the summer. And uh, I've been, frankly, enjoying it, which is, you know, you, you hear so much hate on TNA. I like a lot about it. And if... Uh, uh, I will look at this as hopeful news, both for SmackDown, where I think uh, Thursday is a better night, and long-term future for TNA, because it certainly sounds like the network was moving it in order to not have a direct head-to-head competition, yeah. which would lead me to think that that's, a, that's more a long-term strategy, because if they were just canceling the show, why bother moving it? What does it matter what the ratings are if you're already planning on getting rid of it in October or whenever it is? Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned watching TNA and I'll I'll just go right to that right now because every time we've had you on before you kind of really hadn't watched it a whole lot. And I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on it because I know when they first debuted in New York, I, you know, I was a little bit critical. Some other people were very critical of and I thought it was fair criticism of, you know, this whole, hey, we're rebooting TNA. Check us out. Six sided ring. And then you've got Tommy Dreamer as like the first thing you see talking about 1997 ECW. I thought that may have been a little bit questionable. It sounds like they've gotten away from some of that stuff. What's some of the stuff that you've seen on the show that's really stood out to you in a good way? Well, I I should point out first, I didn't start right at the beginning of New York. The first uh, full episode ever that I watched at TNA was their Destination X show, which I really enjoyed. Uh, um, I mean, I think there were five matches on the show, and it was only the second um, uh, uh, X Division match that really didn't uh, light my fire. But I thought it was great all the way around. It was the six-sided ring is a really interesting construct, uh, both physically and sort of in the in the matches of uh, mechanics to me. Because I felt like on that night, the only person who really uh, uh, took advantage of it was, uh, pardon me, I'm still learning all of that character's <laughs> names. Right. Uh, uh, was it was it Eric Young who fought Bobby Lashley or no? Uh, uh, Aries, Aries, Austin yeah. Aries. Austin Aries. Um, who really, there was a really neat way that he would use the, the angles of the additional angles of the ring um, to mount offensive moves against Bobby that I thought was really uh, an refreshing, a refreshing approach. Um, so I'm actually, as I feel like the boys are going to learn how to use it to a maximal advantage, I think you're going to get uh, a sort of new and creative match dynamics with it. But in terms of what I like overall, look, uh, uh, Kenny, Kenny King, Bobby, and MVP, um, I really, as, as a heel badass trio, I'm really enjoying. Right. And um, Bobby particularly, um, you know, he, I, I was there when he started. I, I work with him a lot. We, 
in in my sort of long-term planning in SmackDown, like, and it'll sound funny sort of in retrospect because so much time has gone by, <laughs> but during the period I was there, um, Bobby and Mr. Kennedy were sort of our long-term, these guys are the future right now. And I think even after I left in the, uh, the all-too-brief program with Bobby Lashley and John Cena and that great, uh, I think it was a Great American Bash 2007, um, I, there, Bobby has so much upside and I feel like nobody's really tapped it until now. Like, I feel like he's as a badass champion, really looking good. They're booking him strongly and you believe, yeah, this is, this is a guy who can kick the ass of the roster. Um, I mean, I, I'm liking TNA enough to the point that, uh, you know, you sort of sit around and you fantasy book and you bullshit with friends Yeah, and you know, there's all these rumors about Bully, Bully, Bully Ray, not Bubba Ray. Right, Bully about Ray. Bully leaving. <laughs> I sure hope uh, that he does business in the old school way, and he seems like an old school guy. If he is leaving, man, that's a great guy for uh, to put Bobby over on the way out because um, Bobby crushing uh, the guy who's been sort of the focal point of the promotion for, it sounds like, more than a year. Uh, could be some really compelling television and really cement Bobby as as the guy. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. I was not, because I'm a relatively new viewer, I wasn't really invested enough in the putting Dixie through a table deal uh, to have, to, for it to really connect for me, but that's just because I haven't, uh, sort of had the the story equity in that long story, right? But I tuned in at a point that basically that's ended, and we can now roll forward with the new stories. I think the way they present uh, uh, the women's division is infinitely stronger than what WWE has been doing uh, for a good long time, and we'll get, I'm sure, to, to Paige and AJ. So there are exceptions and, uh, that prove the rule, you know, the Natty Charlotte match and things like that. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, uh, you know, they're treated as legit athletes, um, and and that's really good. I like the shooting strategy backstage at TNA. They do this neat sort of voyeuristic thing that it feels like instead of in WWE when you have a backstage segment, it's either an interview or the guys sort of pretend that the camera isn't there and they have conversations with each other. Yeah, I don't like um, that. In TNA, they do this neat thing that it feels like the camera is at a distance and they kind of find and zoom in on conversations as they happen. Mm-hmm. And I think from a production standpoint, that's I think it's really cool because it feels like you're finding something instead of watching a pre-written, pre-set up sort of thing. So I'm enjoying a lot with, uh, with TNA right now. And I, I hope they continue to have a berth on on a major network and don't go out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be bad for the business, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, definitely. And you went back to uh, talking about uh, them putting uh, Dixie through the table. Do you think it was a bad bad move on TNA's behalf to sort of spoil that particular spot? I mean, because I, I, told, I told Gary before, I equated it to back in WCW when... Uh, they they spoiled the one of the championship matches with the Rock and Mankind. Do you think that was good for them, or it was a good move going forward, or do you think that maybe that was a bad idea and they shouldn't have uh, spoiled that per se? I I definitely hear the criticism from people. I think I'm very much in the minority. I thought that was a good. 
again, coming in as somebody who hadn't built sort of uh, uh, the storyline wasn't as important to me on a visceral level as long-term TNA fans who'd been following the Dixie Bully conflict for a long time. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really effective bumper. Uh, but my understanding is, is the rating was only up by something like 25 or 50,000 viewers. I can't quite remember. So maybe it didn't work out. Yeah, it wasn't but a huge I certainly bump. thought it was a compelling, that last image of Bully sort of raising her for the power bomb, and then they cut to black or, or faded to black or whatever, and you just got all of those reactions. I thought that was an effective piece of, uh, of promo marketing. It certainly made me interested in seeing the show the next week. Hey, fair enough. Now, look, I definitely want to talk to you about SummerSlam, but before we get to that, um, I want to talk to you about another hot topic that's out there with uh, Alberto Del Rio, Rey Mysterio. There's, you know, there's well, Alberto Del Rio's gone. Rey Mysterio's status kind of up in the air. I knew you worked with Rey, so we'll touch on that in a second. But the Del Rio thing about about the whole thing about slapping the social media guy. Did you hear about all this? And what did you think about that? I mean, all I know about it is is you know what I've what what I've heard on podcasts and what I've read in the dirt sheet. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't feel like there must be more to the story. Even you know, I read uh, uh, the Del Rio's interview with um, was it Galavish? I can't remember. With a he did a fairly substantial interview with uh, with a Mexican television station. Yeah. Uh, sort of talking about race relations in WWE and and what he could say about the story was limited because obviously it it at least sounds like there's talk of legal action maybe on both sides. Yeah. Um, I really I have no idea. It seems like such a bizarre circumstance that uh, I mean this will sound like a mealy mouth. I don't want to get into the controversy thing, and you know I I say whatever the fuck comes into my head. That's true. But I just feel like there are elements to the story that we don't know at this mm-hmm. point because it all sounds so weird. And those tweets WWE sent out um, that still use Del Rio's gimmick name for a firing thing, which they never do. They always use the shoot name. That is very um, weird. Everything yeah. about it felt really weird to me, and I'm not saying it's a work. I think. Pretty obviously, it's not at this point. Yeah, but it just feels like there's so much more to the story that we on the outside don't understand at this point that it's it's difficult for me to sort of give any kind of concrete thought because it just seems like such a weird circumstance. You know, yeah. WWE sending out those tweets saying it's all his fault, and then Hunter himself retweeting them. That is strange. It, it's just so strange, man. Yeah, well, too well, weird. well, let me phrase it in this way, though. I mean, when when you were there, did you ever see these kind of jokes being made? Do you think this kind of environment was, you know, uh, welcomed uh, maybe backstage around your time? Do you ever see anybody make any kind of like racial jokes or anything of that nature? Uh, I mean, it's a it's a uh, the short answer is yes. It was less. Have you heard the expression hipster racism? It's like like when two two white guys with beards and plaid shirts in Brooklyn call each other nigga. <laughs> um, it's it's this really sort of insidious, incipient kind of racism mm-hmm. that I, I don't think anybody uh, uh, backstage at WWE would think of themselves as. I don't think anybody would say I don't like blacks or I don't like Latinos, but there is was this uh, like I heard Ray referred to as pepper belly. Um, is that a racist thing to say, or is it a reference to a diminutive guy who's got a lot of fire? It always tickled my 
this is kind of a gross thing to uh, say. I heard uh, Charmel referred to as, God, she's so beautiful. She's brown sugar. Wow. Um, that's pretty fucked up, right? Sure. But I think it was legitimately meant in a complimentary, as, as though saying, wow, her look right now as Queen Charmel is really sexy. But so the short answer is, yes, there are racial issues that WWE has to deal with um, on the inside. And that's uh, it's really it's really troubling. I mean, you know, uh, one of one of our explicit goals, both under Dave uh, LaDonna and myself when we were running SmackDown was uh, uh, to fight for the minority audience, which we felt was being under, underserved. So, you know, we had Ray and Booker and Mark Henry and Eddie and guys that we intentionally pushed to the top of our card. Uh, bearing in mind for listeners that this is during uh, the, the brand split was pretty hard and fast at this point. So we were very separate from all. Yeah. Um, but we intentionally uh, went after that market, and Vince wholly, and Steph especially, wholly supported us. Uh, in in aggressively trying to to uh, make those viewers feel creatively satisfied and give them people they could root for and root against who looked like them, which I think is an important thing. It's what I try to do in my films too, by uh, keeping as much casting colorblind as I possibly can. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. There was this, you know, the, the one that gets under my skin more than anything else. One of the first conversations I had with Mark Henry was uh, the, the silverback thing had oh, been yeah. proposed to him. Mm-hmm. And he fucking hated that idea. And I hated it, too. And I fought against it. And, and uh, it's not that I'm the be-all and end-all. But during my time there, I was a strong enough voice against that that it never happened. And then... I left, and uh, uh, other people took over SmackDown, and all of a sudden he was he was being referred to as oh he's, he's a silverback. Yeah. Um, that's the mo- it's so insulting, and I know fucking Mark hated it, and it's a problem, man. And I mean, it, it's a problem that wrestling's dealt with for a long time. Like I remember back in the day, I'm 41 years old. I remember the territory days where you couldn't headbutt a black man because their skulls were too thick. Or a Samoan because their skulls were too thick. Remember that? Like, that's not a pretty picture no. at all. Uh-uh. Um, and I was there in the time that we did the Mexicals, which, you know, that's in, that they got over more than we anticipated that they would. And they got over with a Latino audience more than, more than we thought they would. Right. But it always felt really sketchy to me. Sure. You I- know, it's a... It's a even even Eddie, you know, we lie, we cheat, we steal, and Latino heat. Like it's it's always treading a line that abuts very closely uh, to sort of overt racism, um, playing with stereotypes. And it's uh, here's the thing, though, they do it with everyone. Like Irish guys love to fight, fella, and they love and, to smile uh, a lot. Uh, you know, like they, the, all of those things are are played um, uh, to sort of shorthand who people are based on their their ethnic identity or or national identity. Yeah, and it's it's tough, man. And I don't have the quick and easy uh, solution except for you know help the boys find their characters and push them as who they want to be. 
Right. But I think, again, without without knowing anything about this specific situation, uh, somebody making a comment that is racially charged and somebody else getting pissed off about it uh, is not a shocking, I can't believe it would happen kind of revelation. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's some interesting uh, some inf- interesting information there from uh, Alex Greenfield. Wow, let me monologue you. This is this, that's going to be one of those that people pick up on the trees, and I'm going to get all kinds of heat. <laughs> oh, what the hell, right? Send them your way. What? Uh, uh, hey, hey, look, man. I think it was your show that I uh, I, I said some uh, said some things about not getting along with Shawn Michaels, and uh, uh, that's when that's when the Twitter flood happened. So. <laughs> No, no, I don't think that was our show. Hold on, man. Don't hold back on me, Alex. What happened with you and Shawn Michaels? Let's hear it. No, that was That's the thing. It, it always struck me. It was like, uh, it was weird because it was apparently one of the most controversial uh, uh, things, at least judging from the negative reaction. And I think it's just because Shawn's fan base is so passionate. Of course. Um, but mm-hmm. whoever I was interviewing with, I've got, it's funny. I really thought it was you. Um, we were, we did the normal question about, you know, best ever. Yeah. Um, and somebody made the Michaels argument and I just said, man, it's not true. Michaels is the best ever at working with his friends. Like that's who Michaels is the best at working with. And personally, I mean, here's the thing. It's such a not sexy, dirt cheap worthy, uh, uh, kind of story. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have both worked in environments where there are people you get along with like right out of the gate and there are people you just never get along with. And Sean and I just never got along. We had different senses of humor. We had different senses of uh, of um, sort of character. We had and and look, you know, he's one of the biggest superstars of all times. Of course. Uh, so he always won the arguments. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we just we just didn't get along. There's actually not much. There's no big, you know, argument. Uh, uh, there's no there's no. Uh, uh, I thought Vince was going to punch me in the face or anything like that. We just never got along. Well, to uh, to to transition a little bit uh, with Shawn Michaels, and to kind of give a plug for how, you. How are we going to get Alex more heat on this podcast? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I I wanted to plug the uh, MLW stuff that you do because I heard a fascinating podcast with you, Court, and Ed Ferrara talking about SummerSlam oh, two thousand five. Right? Yes, yes, and hearing about the Shawn Michaels Hulk Hogan thing, and talking about how he, you know he's overselling, and and Court was talking about how he really kind of ruined the match. You know, by doing that and and fucking the fans. I mean, I was like, wow, this is fascinating stuff. I was there. I was at that show. Oh, were you really? Wow. I was front row. What was was it like to you in the audience? Well, at this time, I didn't really follow the business closely. I didn't start doing, like, covering stuff and doing radio until 07. Like, at that point, I was really still very much a mark not immersed in insider, you know, stuff. So I'm just like, oh, you know, it's Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan. I love these guys. And wow, look at this match. And wow, that, you know, those moves Shawn is doing looks pretty good. And wow, look at Hulk. He's all bloody and he's making the big comeback. I mean, I just, I was immersed in it. I enjoyed it. It was one of the Summer Slams that I look back on over the years as a favorite, probably because I was front row, probably because my childhood hero Hulk Hogan was in the main event and I'd never seen him live up until that point. But yes, I mean, I thought it was a was a fun match at the time. Looking back, watching it a week ago after I heard that podcast with you guys, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. No, I think that that's actually a really fascinating perspective. The only people I think I've talked about the match with are people who, to greater and lesser degrees, are either inside fans or right. people who have worked in the business. And there's sort of a unanimity. Now, there's some people who say Hogan had the overselling coming. 
uh, uh, because because of the argument and all of that. And that's yep. that's a fan response I've gotten a lot. Hogan was being a dick, demanding to win when he knew he was going away for a while. Uh, uh, Michaels um, needed to show him up. I think that, from my perspective, never having worked a day in my life, right. um, it, that seems unprofessional to me. Uh, and expose the business, expose the business um, um, from my perspective. I do hear it on the other side, and it is interesting to hear you say that as a, you know, a pure fan mm-hmm. uh, without any inside knowledge that you really enjoyed the match. I did. Um, that sort of cuts me off at the knees, right? Like if <laughs> if fans enjoyed the match, then I am ipso facto wrong, right? I um, I bought I bought if into you didn't it. Notice the overselling. Um, say it again. I, I, I bought right into it. Maybe maybe I just wasn't paying attention hard enough, but I watched it. I, I saw the story with, you know, Hogan and he got like real bloody and stuff and he's trying to make the big comeback. I mean, I was just I was a very excited. I was I was front row. I was sitting right if you watch the show on the network, I'm the guy in the red Hulkamania shirt directly in between Cole and Taz with a big gold belt going nuts. And I, <laughs> that's I, awesome, dude. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sitting there like watching the match, fully immersed. Just like, oh my god, come on, Hogan, and you know, Sean's just you know, it's crazy. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really did. No, well, I mean that that does it is you 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 at that point are the fans that we are theoretically trying to appeal to. Yeah. Um. So if if the match worked from that perspective, then um then my criticisms aren't founded. You know, do you know? Do you know what I mean? It's it's I, looking at it as an inside person. I have my criticisms of the match, of course. But if casual fans really enjoyed it and bought into it and were you know uh, uh, hungry for the near falls and and believed in the match, then then my bitch about it isn't isn't worth a you know a bucket of spit. Well, you've got. I mean, you've got your own opinion, though. I mean, I can't uh, oh, yeah, discredit yeah, yeah. your oh, well, take. No, on no, it. no. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But yeah. my Feeling has always been the match didn't work, and what I hear you saying is no, no. For me, as a fan sitting there, totally into it and totally engaged, it did work. Um, that's that's a pretty telling statement. I actually had never heard that before. Wow, maybe I'm just a big idiot. <laughs> I just <laughs> well, had blinders always, on. You know, with you, Gary, that's always a possibility. <laughs> of course, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I might have to. I might have to go back and watch that match again. Just, just see it from that perspective. I encourage you to do so. Yeah, no, no. I'm kind of interested. I'm gonna. I will uh, not on the network, but I will pull it up on on the Google machine somewhere and take a look because it's interesting to hear um, from a perspective that's sort of outside. You know, I was talking. I did. Uh, uh, I sat in for court on John Pollock's show on uh, on Bauer and Pollock on on Law Radio the other day, mm-hmm. and well, one of the things we were talking about. I can't even remember the subject, but sometimes. It occurs to me that because, you know, I worked in the business and my circle of sort of regular uh, uh, people on Twitter and people I talk to in in real life are all sort of, at the very least, very inside fans. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times I'm in this IWC bubble um, that it's difficult to get a... Uh, a solid impression of what more casual fans are thinking, and uh, it, it's telling when uh, when when that uh, it's telling when that's thrown in your face, not in a negative way, but like it's it's a cold cold glass of water saying, you know, I feel like I know so much, 
But what matters is, you know, people always talk about the Cena turn, right? And, oh, why doesn't Cena turn? Right. And those kids in the audience uh, love John Cena. And those kids were horrified last Sunday, horrified yeah. by, <laughs> oh by God, the destruction. And that's, man, that's emotional storytelling. And sometimes when you're in the IWC bubble, you forget who WWE is programming for. There are 4 million people, more or less, 4 million people who tune into Raw every week. We uh, are... 10%, 20%? Yeah, not a, um, not a big we're percentage. We're not the majority by any stretch. No. Uh-uh. Definitely not. No. Um, let me ask you this. Before we kind of, you know, pick SummerSlam apart in detail, I, I want to know just, just from uh, overall the history of SummerSlams, where does this one rank to you? Because there are a lot of, you know, previous ones. I, I think 98, that's another one you guys talked about on, on MLW that really yep. sticks out to me that I was – legitimately really excited for and it, and it exceeded expectation but for you where did this year's rank and maybe like a top three a top five a top ten you might have had uh you know where does it oh, I, sit? Think, I think top three uh for sure i mean it, it's an interesting thing there wasn't a a brent bulldog you know there wasn't a perfect match on the show right but i was consistently entertained from the beginning of the show to the very end, I thought they did some really interesting things. I think the Cena Brock match was, I, 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 I called it uh, uh, the, uh, the the passion of John Cena, right? right. Like it was just <laughs> so bracingly different from any Cena match that I can ever think of seeing. Um, you know, back back when he was Thug Life and Brock was killing him. I mean, people forget, and I'm surprised they never said it. The FU, the Attitude Adjustment, the FU was created as a as a fuck you to, to Brock Lesnar, right? I mean, yeah. that's why they called the move what it was. Um, it's. I thought that was great. I thought uh, Rollins and Ambrose, like. It's tough not to think that Dean Ambrose is going to be one of the biggest stars of this generation, right? People are really um, getting on I, his. People are really getting into his stuff. I mean, I'm sensing a real like groundswell, and I'm talking about not just internet people because obviously they love him to death, but the crowd. You can hear it, man. They're getting really yeah. into him. Yeah, he's. he's I mean, it's, on the one hand, I think it, you can look at it as a gesture of faith that this pretty new guy they've given the lead in a movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, you almost wish, I, hey, maybe push the production schedule back to keep this momentum going. But I have the sense that he is going to come out and stop Seth Rollins at the moment of some kind of sure thing. Yeah, And I really have the sense that their Hell in a Cell match, if that's the way they go and knock wood it is, um, is going to be off the chain. I think it's going to be ridiculous. When when he comes back, and I, and I have a feeling it'll be like you're saying, he's going to stop Seth Rollins with something, and he's going to run out of there like a bat out of hell, and that crowd is going to lose their minds. They're yeah. going to go nuts. He is, he is. And I even loved a little subtle thing, that interview that uh, – that uh, Hunter did with Cole, where he's like, yeah, we're never going to see him again. He ignored medical attention and just wandered away. <laughs> and all I could keep thinking of was those great uh, the Texas Jack ones after, I think it was Vader powerbombed him on the concrete floor. 
And uh, uh, then we had all of these. What, what, wasn't he like going around looking for his memory or something like that? I'm like, there's <laughs> yeah. so much you can do with Ambrose in this story. <laughs> I wandered onto a Hollywood set, and now I'm a movie star. What happened? He is he is one of the more interesting people. This this kind of goes into something where I, I had a question I wanted to ask you as far as who do you think, and I know I know it's still early, but kind of just an early prediction here of who's gained the most out of this split. Is it Dean Ambrose or is it uh, Seth Rollins or have they all kind of equally gained something? Who, is, who do you think's gained the most out of the split? I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? If, you, yeah. if we were having this interview even three weeks, a month ago, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was one of those guys who firmly, you know, I slurped down the, uh, the reins Kool-Aid. Like I, I was like, he is the man build to mania. Let him be brought like, it was perfect. Boy, man, Ambrose has found a voice for that character and a working style for that character that's just fantastic. And I think I, I think the way to ask that question is sort of uh, who is going to be at the top of the card three years, five years from now. Yeah. I think what we'll be saying is, God, I'm sick of that Ambrose. He's been at the top of the card for four years now, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's just, he's so good. And already he's shown a level of versatility that, and, and I am a 100% mark for all three members of the shield, mm-hmm. but Ambrose, Ambrose has that X factor, man. And it seems to me that, um, he, he's going to be that he, he's got the potential to, you know what he's got the potential to be okay. Hunter on his run from, you know, sort of introducing the game in the McMahon-Helmsley era through 06 or 07 or wherever it was. Never, not not necessarily the guy, but the guy who the guy has to beat. Right. Yeah, that's... That's a hell of a spot. I mean, and and I don't want to discredit Rollins either because he, I I really feel like when when he first turned on them and and the promos he was delivering, I thought they were pretty damn solid. And it sounded like he kind of had his voice. He really found his voice. And the Money in the Bank thing is a nice thing for him to do that that really added to his character. I think that without the Money in the Bank, I wouldn't really know what to do with him. But that's kind of something that you can kind of, you know, give him as like his little sidekick and he can kind of do a lot of cool things with that. I, I agree. Can we go down the, the fantasy booking uh, uh, rabbit hole for one quick second? Of course. Let's do it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's such a great story potential, particularly assuming that, that Lesnar wins at Night of Champions and continues the run to Mania, which is you know the conventional wisdom. Yes. I think mm-hmm. there's such a neat thing you can do with Rollins where and you gotta you have to play it subtly. Like I don't think it's one long promo, mm-hmm. but I think people starting to needle him about you're going to be the first guy who doesn't cash in because you're not going to cash in on Brock fucking Lesnar, right? And just needling, <laughs> needling, fucking acupuncturing him <laughs> with that. You can go to a babyface turn. You can go. You can go a lot of different ways with just constantly belittling this guy, no matter what success he has in other programs, whether with Ambrose or whoever the next guy he works with, Reigns, with whoever, all it is is here you've had this briefcase, you know, in four months now, six months, nine months, you're never going to be able to do it. You cannot touch the beast and just continually fucking with him about it so that when that moment comes, uh, that's going to be a huge, huge moment. 
people would people would go nuts for that. I mean, I yeah. I think of that I think of that pop like if it was you know before Mania or no not even that if it was the night after Mania. Let's say Brock had he's still a champion. He, he he's retained and and let's assume that that's not Reigns because I feel like if Reigns Reigns was in the spot he would win. But let's say for whatever reason it's not and Rollins comes out. The song goes on. He comes down. That place is going to go nuts. And you got all those those people from like overseas that come over from Mania. Oh man, it's crazy. Yeah, uh, there's that. There's, I mean, this is sort of the the dark horse booking, right? Yeah. It, it's Daniel Bryan versus Brock at Mania, and Brock wins. That is such magnificent heat, and Rollins comes out and cashes in on Brock after a hard fought match. Is he a heel or a babyface at that point? I don't know if people cheer or they boo, but it's certainly some magnetic fucking television. Oh, man. You're getting oh, me excited yeah, just absolutely. thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I've I'm been a little chubby, I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. No, I, I, I've been always thinking in the back of my mind, is like, when when is Rollins going to cash in? Who will he, will he wait till maybe Lesnar's not the champion? Or will he just go in and just get completely destroyed? And further solidify Lesnar. See, I told you, not even money in the bank can stop me or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's a perfectly legit way to go, right? Uh, uh, if you want to continue to build Brock, you know, he's turned back everyone at that point. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways you can do with it. Point being, all three of the guys from The Shield are money. Oh, um, yeah. They are all oh, three God, are. lots of money. And, I mean, whatever... Do you know who put them together? I mean, was it actually Rollins backstage? Was he really an architect, or was it Dusty, who I think was booking down there at that point? Well, they have this. Uh, I know you're not a network guy. You've you've said previously in previously interviews that you've had your reasons for not getting the network, but they put out the yep. special on the Shield, and they told the story about how you know uh, Rollins was in developmental, and he's he's uh, uh, you know. Uh, bashing heads with guys like Terry Taylor because he feels he's better and he should be able to be on the main roster and he's blowing up Johnny Ace's phone and all that kind of stuff. And then they talked about it. They didn't really give a, a direct, you know, reason of how they got together, but they said that they, you know, we, we got this idea. We had these three guys who didn't know what to do with it. We put them together and, and put them on TV and Survivor Series and they went into that whole thing. So they didn't tell us exactly how they did it. They kind of just pasted it as, well, we didn't really have much for these three guys. So we just put them together and magic happened. Like, that's the way that that was their explanation. No, I feel that. I'm just really curious because there are any number of guys down there who you could say that about who you could have put in the mix. Whoever picked those specific three guys to right. put together has a real, real good eye. Do you know what I mean? It, oh, yeah. It, because there, you know, you could have put, um, oh, uh, what was, uh, what was uh, Adam Rose's old gimmick? Uh, oh, the, uh, Leo, Kruger. Leo Kruger. Leo Kruger. Well, you could have put Leo Kruger and, um, anyway, you could pick three random guys and say, yeah. we're going to give three guys we don't know what to do with this, this awesome gimmick. And it could have fallen apart because I really do feel like the, those three men's chemistry, um, as opponents and then as uh, as as partners, yeah, um, it was just it was lightning in a bottle. And whoever saw that uh, deserves a bonus. Hey, when when you said falling apart, did you mean falling apart like Adam Rose's on TV right now? Wow, <laughs> wow man. <laughs> yeah, and that's a bummer too, man. Like, um, and, and don't get me wrong, I don't love the gimmick, but I love the talent, and I feel like he, um, Kruger was close, and Adam Rose is close. It's yeah. just, 
you can't quite see it yet, but I feel how old is he? Like he's not that old, right? Like there's still time for him to find the right thing. I oh yeah, he, no, he's got he's got time. I want to say late twenties, but yeah, uh, yeah right. I mean that's that's perfect, and and no one expects uh, you know the 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 Brocks and Ang the Brocks and Ortons who who just have it right out of the gate are so you know yeah. few and far between. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's still got time, and I think. I don't think Adam Rose is the thing ultimately, but right. I, I have faith that that kid's gonna uh, gonna find the thing because he's got charisma and he's got a good vicious streak. It's just uh, like the the sort of English raver uh, uh, gimmick feels, um, you know. Um, well, Russell Brand is sort of oh, what yeah. it feels like he's modeled on, mm-hmm. and Russell Brand was passe. Uh, when did forgetting Sarah Marshall come out? You know, like he was already kind of gone. Yeah, it was like 2008. I want to say that that movie came out. Yeah, like it's um, it just feels like it's chasing the right gimmick instead of coming out in front like Bray did. Well, well, they needed a new toy, I think, for Vince, you know, to slap his knee at in Gorilla and just laugh and laugh and laugh and, and you know, because uh, Santee. Uh, God, God damn, pal! Look at that! It's a bunny. <laughs> well, 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 think about it. They took Santino off, and he kind of did like the the pre show for a little while on the network. And they said, "Well, let's call this Adam Rose guy. God damn it, you know, and let's have a good time with this guy." So maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if Damian Sandow was that knee slapper for Vince. God damn it, that's funny. Go out there on an astronaut. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh God damn! Look at that guy. <laughs> Fly me to the moon, pal. <laughs> look, look at him. He's a lumberjack. A real lumberjack. <laughs> <laughs> I I would almost be willing to bet you that that was said on cans during the match. <laughs> Look at that, he's a <laughs> God damn, Cap. God damn it. <laughs> get, a, get a shot of that plaid. <laughs> Look- God damn <laughs> oh my God! If I if I could break from the humor for a moment, I, I do want to ask you about the uh, the decision to go with Cena Lesnar at Night of Champions so soon. Is that the right move or the wrong move in your take? To, to me, it feels like the wrong move. Um, and look, I can make the argument both ways. I would have liked to see, and I mean, here's a, here's here's where I part company with our friends in the IWC. I think if you'd have done a long term Cena redemption storyline, yeah. Um, uh, think think it's not exactly the same thing, but think uh, after fake Sting, uh, uh, you know, framed up Sting and Sting basically said, fuck this noise and sort of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And you only saw little glimpses of him for God. It was more than more than a year, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, until, until he, yeah. he was full until the Hogan match. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I, I feel like if you'd have done that build right and built Cena up the right way, um, Cena and Lesnar at Mania would have been a big money match. And you sort of couch it, you forget everything in the early 2000s and it's the rubber match. Yeah. Um, This feels really early to me. I don't have any notion of, of, I I certainly hope they don't beat Brock with Cena. Like five weeks doesn't seem like nearly enough time. Um, I was, I was, I mean, you, we were tweeting back and forth earlier today. I, uh, I was thinking about, um, back in whatever it was, 2002, maybe 2003 with Brock, uh, when Heyman started saying yeah. in a very subtle way that whatever happens at whatever that pay-per-view was, I can't remember, yeah. uh, whatever way it happens, I'm coming out the champion. 
Heyman gave that great line in another phenomenal promo. I mean, we could do a whole show just with me putting over Paul Heyman's work right now. Which of course. It, it's funny, you know, when the Observer ballots come out uh, later later this year yeah. and you ask for who the wrestler of the year is. Like, normally I'd say, you know, AJ Styles and his performance in the G1 uh, pretty much locks it in, for, and New Japan as a whole pretty much locks it in for me. Yeah. There's a real good argument that even though he is not a wrestler, um, just saying that Paul Heyman is manager or whatever you call it of the year is not enough because he sold SummerSlam oh, almost yeah. by himself. Um, and his promos are... Uh, anyway, anyway, point being, I like Paul Heyman and what he's doing right now. Of course, I um, do too. Oh, me too. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I forget where we were talking. We, we, I, I segued into Heyman and I lost track. No, no, no. We, we, we were talking about the, uh, you know, doing the rematch so soon with Night of Champions and not waiting. Yeah, it's just, uh, it, it feels really soon to me. Oh, 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 the, the tweeting back and forth. I was thinking oh, yeah, about yeah. Heyman's, um, I was thinking about Heyman's promo with Big Show. use and, of language yeah. uh, back in the Brock show program when he turned on Brock. That line Heyman gave on Monday about how he, uh, he, He'd love, uh, he'd have loved John Cena to be a Paul Heyman guy. I mean, look, I don't think they're ever going to turn him heel. I think this is purely out of my ass fantasy booking. Right. But boy, the the breadcrumbs are currently laid <laughs> down for Heyman to turn on Rock. Right? You sure? Like, it would totally. I don't think that will happen, but it would totally make sense if it did, because if you're going to turn Cena. One of my disconnects with the authority standing against Cena is Cena's the ultimate company guy. Like, of he's course. exactly who should be the face of the WWE because he is, you know, the face of the WWE. Yeah, they, they keep so, they keep saying Randy Orton's the face of the WWE, and he couldn't be the furthest thing from it. I mean, come on. Exactly. <laughs> Not even close. Um, it, it, there is a perfect storyline since to Hunter and Steph saying, Okay, we've gotten the title away. Uh, uh, we've we've taught Cena a lesson in humility. Now he's going to be our good corporate dog. Oh boy, that could be something. Um, it, it could absolutely be something. But we get back to the merch sales and the way kids love them and and all of that. My only argument for why they could do that is. I think one of the lessons of the relatively low, uh, the much lower than expectation numbers of the network mm-hmm. um, is that the people who are early adopters, who, who got into the network right away, mm-hmm. are that per, are largely that percentage of fans who are like you and me and the people who are listening to this podcast, people who are hardcore fans, and that base would love a Cena heel turn. So if you want to spike the network, Maybe that's the way you do it. Maybe maybe that becomes a must-see thing. I still think it is 90% sure that, Cena, that John Cena will never turn heel. And I don't think he would do um, it very but well. But it's an interesting, it's a fun fantasy, fantasy booking thing to think about. I think well, there's never been a more rational story reason for, for Cena to turn than there is right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, let, let me ask you this. Do you think, because I know uh, th- there, there was a big thing just like back in 96, do you think Cena turning heel would be bigger and more profound than, let's say, when Hogan turned heel back in 96 at Bash at the Beach? No, no. 
Uh, it, 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 in terms of Cena has a lot of equity. Um, Hogan going from the red and yellow to the black and white. I, I don't know that you're ever going to get a more shocking heel turn than that. There's nothing bigger than that for for my money. I, I, I think. I think. I think it would do. I think it would do big business, and I think it would get people talking. Absolutely, but I, I, it's. I, I, Hogan is iconic in a way that that despite his much longer run on top, uh, I just I, John Cena isn't there. I don't think. Yeah, fair fair enough. Now, yeah. if, if they stay the course with Lesnar and he goes to WrestleMania 31, and you know we all hear about Lesnar and, and Reigns, and that's what a lot of people think is going to happen. I know JR's talked about it. A lot of people have talked about it. But there's one other thing I keep hearing about, and I, I don't think it's very likely, but I'll ask you, what's what's the bigger money to you at WrestleMania 31 with Lesnar with the title? Is it Lesnar-Reigns or what some people are talking about, a Taker-Lesnar rematch where Les, where Taker gets his win back and, and retires with the belt? Some people are saying that this might be a good idea. What do you think is more appealing out of just those two matches, Lesnar and Reigns or a Taker and Lesnar rematch? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, that's an interesting um, proposal and another thing that Heyman did in this promo and has been doing obviously very regularly with uh, uh, how, how his client Brock Lesnar uh, did something at WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, that has been kept very much alive and it would not surprise me what is better business. The question for me is how hot is Reigns uh, when, we, when we get to three weeks before the Royal Rumble? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you have to dis- make your decision right then, right? That's got that's got to be um, the spot. Yeah, Royal Rumble's key. But you know, but you know what though, Alex? I'm I'm worried about this though because it, let's say if that's around the time where where Brian starts getting healthy, and then you have these people that think that you know, well, gee, Brian really deserves another shot, and the fact that some people already think that you know they're smelling that Reigns is the chosen one. Are we going to see kind of some resentment like Batista? You know. Uh, right place, wrong time, and people turn on him just because one they think He's maybe not Brian. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, that could be a very big possibility. Uh, it is. I. I mean, it's it's the tough. I mean, for, I wouldn't have Reigns face Daniel Bryan anytime. No, in the in the, in the near future, right? Keep like, them no on separate fucking, universes. Yeah, yeah, they exist on different. Fucking planes of existence, I think, for a good long while. Um, again, it's one of those things. A month ago, when I was super, super hot on Reigns, and you know, people make fun of the five moves of Doom or whatever, and he only has three or whatever it is—the Superman punch and the bop and the uh, the drop kick to the apron. Yeah, boy, those fear. spots popped the crowd, and they popped me, man. That drop kick to the apron, I think, is my favorite move in the business right now. Like, I love that. Frickin- amazing yeah every time he pulls it out and when he did that uh that run where he kicked the three guys in the um it at uh was it money in the bank i can't i can't remember the, the ladder match yeah it, um, yeah it was just like oh this is i was 100 percent on board with <laughs> this is the guy and if they can build him and keep that feeling captured and give him that big fucking win over brock lesnar who's just been running roughshod, I don't think you're in danger of people turning on, on Roman Reigns with any kind of quickness. I think uh, I think he's over like gangbusters at that point. Is there anything... Uh, especially if you built a good heel base for him to keep running with uh, as, as his reign rolls forward into SummerSlam into this time next year. Right. Um, 
could they book things badly in such a way that the Brian resentment overwhelms him? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen, though. Whoever they put in the top slot, um, as to Brian himself, in in your notion of uh, Taker Brock with Taker going over and retiring with the title, that gives you a really wide open field immediately after WrestleMania, right? Yeah. Like Huge. that field is you you can anoint Brian at that point, or you can anoint Reigns, uh, or Rollins. if things have been done right, you could go back to Cena. Though I suspect Cena will be the guy building the younger guys at that point. I hope. I hope so. Yes. Um, but I think I don't know. I think there is a lot to you know if if you know if we're at the end of the Rumble and you know the guy who's won the Royal Rumble fucking Brock comes out and kills him. Uh, gong! Here comes uh, here comes the blue light. Oh man! Um, here come oh. here come the druids. Uh, that's it. Seems like it could be really hot to me. Uh, obviously, there are questions with Taker's health, but I feel like for the last five years, there's been the question: Oh, well, maybe he has. He's not going to come back for WrestleMania. Like, remember after twenty and oh, yeah, uh, people were sure that he wasn't going to come back, and he went out and stole the night with Punk. Um, it's it's. Always a question, and if Taker wants it and the angle's right, it's hard not to say. Uh, it, that's a, it is certainly a big marquee event. Um, I think in some ways it depends on where Reigns is and where Daniel Bryan is. Right. Is there anything that you see in Reigns? I mean, because some people are obviously already starting to kind of turn away from it. Is there anything that's turned you off about Reigns that you've seen that just doesn't seem like maybe maybe something he's missing in your opinion? Uh, see, to me, like, I think the bitch that you get from a lot of people is the promos. Yeah. I feel like his promos are getting better. And, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of and, and worked a lot with Batista. Yeah. Batista took a while to find his voice for longer promos. But when he found it on that, on that heel run, especially with Cena, um, he was gangbusters every night. Like he was really good at it. I think Reigns is still a young man finding his voice, um, and I think he can get there. The the more problem I have is it feels like they know the goal, but they don't know how to get there. Yeah. And it, to me, the problems with Reigns are story problems. Um, I, I I I think the weakest match at SummerSlam was was he and uh, Randy. Really? And they're going to that again, and I know eventually they'll get them. It sounds like they're going to segue to Rollins and then to Hunter. Um, if anyone can get him there, I, I feel like Hunter probably can. But right. I, I, I want to see Reigns involved in a really compelling story right. and not so much. It just feels like he's sort of randomly coming out. Like, here's what it is. It pisses me off that Ambrose was angry about getting stabbed in the back by Rollins, and it mm-hmm. seems up to this point that Reigns hasn't given a shit. No, that's very fair. Yeah, or, or like you when know what that... I mean, like that betrayal should have fucking stabbed him in the kidneys. Well, um, and instead he just went off and seemed to not care. It sounds like I haven't seen SmackDown, but it sounds like now he's saying, "Well, now you fuck with my boy Ambrose, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick your ass." Well, where, where the um, hell was he on Raw? Like, what was it a month ago when him yeah, and Cena were in the yeah, ring? When, 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 where was he when his <laughs> buddy got he? put through cinder blocks? Yes, <laughs> where, where is all this passion coming from? All of a sudden, right? I know. I, <laughs> I wish I could tell you. 
Oh my <laughs> god, I don't, I don't understand. But uh, you know what the thing is? I've seen him in like media interviews. Like you go on YouTube, you can watch him like doing radio or something, and he seems he seems fine. I mean, maybe it's just what you know, like you're saying, what they're giving him. It's not the right story, or you know, they're not telling him to say the right stuff, or you know. Whatever that I is. I have a feeling because I've, you know, I've been, I was guilty of this in my time there uh, as well. I wonder if they're not, uh, and I'm guessing the same thing is true of Brie Bella as well, who comports herself really well in shoot interviews is the wrong word, but 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 interviews outside WWE's context. Yeah. I wonder if they're not giving him, um, if they're not overriding him, if they're not giving him dialogue and saying, say, you know, speak the speech, I pray you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and not letting him develop his own voice. You know what I'd like, like, uh, uh, everybody talked about this about a year ago or not even a year ago around hall of fame time. Um, boy, I wish, uh, Jake, the snake work with, uh, with Bray Wyatt in terms of his in-ring presentation. Uh-huh. I wish Jake Roberts was brought in as a promo guy to just help people find their voices, get him and Ted DiBiase out there. Oh yeah. Um, have them go away for a week and just talk with Reigns and find his character and find what he's good at. Because he does. He's a great interview when he's not reciting dialogue. And there are people, Kurt Angle's the best example, who are fantastic. Who, when Kurt Angle, when I worked with him, mm-hmm. wanted me to write out everything, and then he would deliver it a thousand times better. Right. Um, then there are guys like JBL who... I loved working with because we got down to a shorthand where I was like, I need this, this, and this. And mm-hmm. he would say, and I need it in five minutes. And he would put together a promo that there was very little editing that went on. He just knew what the fuck to say and how to sell an event. Yeah. And mm-hmm. maybe Reigns is one of those guys. Cause boy, doesn't it feel like he's reciting words that he's, he's reading in his head rather than speaking naturally. Yeah. He's reciting them word for word. And it's fine. You know, look, I don't like the fact that they script everything word for word, but you know, if you're going to do that, at least take it and, and make it your own and not just read it how it's written out. Like when he uh, emphasizes a word, maybe they're putting it in all caps for him, like on the script. And he's just like, yeah. you know, emphasizing that one word that seems kind of out of place. It's like in the wrong place of the sentence to do that. And he just like emphasizes it. It's weird to me. But, yeah, you know, what? Make, it be- make, make it believable. Yeah. Make it your own. Um you said Brie Bella, and that, that struck something with me. I didn't know. Did you see the interview Daniel Bry- or hear the in- interview Daniel Bryan did, where he kind of said that that whole uh, cheating angle was so silly? And bravo to him for speaking out against that. But he thought that it was just groan worthy for them to add this in the story of the whole cheating storyline. Um, did you did you read that interview that he did with IGN? I, I, I read I read the poll quote uh, uh, over over on another website. Yeah, uh, that's okay. <laughs> But uh, I read the poll quote. Look, on the one hand, and here again, I uh, uh, maybe it's my I'm too much the entertainment uh, background or whatever. Right. I thought that segment, uh, in terms of the story, um, um, he's absolutely right. It absolutely was sort of stupid. I thought that segment was totally Plan Nine from Outer Space. So bad, it's good. Yeah. Like it was so terrible, it passed through <laughs> terrible and into. I was sitting laughing aloud alone on my couch, which very rarely happens in wrestling. But <laughs> Stephanie fell on the bad dialogue where she's just standing there was just superlative. It was fantastic. She's the best out of, the, out of that whole thing. Stephanie is so good right now. I really enjoy how she's, you know, it, you know, her performance of everything. I really like what she's doing. I'm really into Absol- it. Absolutely. She <laughs> is so good and so 
comfortable and like talking about somebody who goes out there and owns everything they're saying. I mean, think about the uh, the night of the uh, the arrest angle. Yeah, all of the emotions she went through from sort of her imperious thing to holy shit, this is real to all like she was giving a, a totally legit performance that you bought into. I, I think she's killing it. Uh, if Heyman weren't in the company, she would be the uh, the promo princess right now. Yeah, that that arrest thing in particular, I think that was the real the real peak, the real highlight of it. I I really enjoyed that. So uh, far, yeah. I mean, I have worries. Like, it seems like now it's going to be Bella versus Bella, and uh, uh, that's going to sort of become the central thing. And Stephanie will probably back out of the angle. That's a bummer. Um, that's a that's a bummer to me because I don't think either of them are as good at it. Flip side of that is. Uh, that means Stephanie can become more involved in sort of the primary uh, storyline surrounding the title, and I think that's nothing but a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, just got uh, two more here for you. I, it's it's amazing. We get you on here and we talk for an hour, and it just goes by. It feels like we've been talking for 10 minutes. but let... <laughs> <laughs> It's because I am overly verbose and segue all over the place. <laughs> you, you are a fantastic gentleman, well-spoken, yes, and I love absolutely. to hear your take on anything, which is why... I'm going to throw this question at you. Austin's been doing some press recently and, and is kind of leaving the door open for Mania 32 in Dallas. Maybe. He said maybe. He's not committing to anything. But when you look at the current landscape of WWE, because I know a few years ago, everybody said, oh, Austin and Punk would be so great. Well, let's take Punk out of it because he's quote-unquote retired, or so he says. Um, when you look at this at this current roster, who do you, I mean? Who the hell would you put Austin up against? Is it John Cena? Is that the most money that you can get, or is there somebody else that could be close to that level? Thinking Austin's big return match at Mania 32 in Dallas. Gary, my friend, I am going to say fuck you to your question okay. and say I walked away. I took my ball and went home. I walked away, and I ain't the only one. There's only one man I'm gonna face at WrestleMania 20. Whatever, whatever the fuck it is, 32, <laughs> and you all know his name. And he says that in front of a Chicago crowd. Oh, boy. And that fucking oh. music hits. And that is so much ungodly fucking money um, that I am not – until <laughs> WrestleMania 32, I am not going to say that's not the event that happens. Okay. All right. Hey, fair enough. Look, uh, I, I just threw him out of the equation because he's not here, but – I, I no, I agree with you. That could be, I mean, that would be mega huge for them to do that, and and for that crowd to go completely ballistic. I I, I would love to hear that reaction. Like you need nothing to get into the angle. I read um, on I, I can't remember Twitter or a message board or somebody or mm-hmm. something like that. They were like, well, you'd need you know, Punk would need to come back and earn his stripes back for walking away and and no all way. of it. Like for that kind of money. Um, if, if he wanted to come back, and I mean, that's obviously that, you know, the biggest question, but if he wanted it, you could build that after elimination chamber in a week, like it's one Austin promo and one punk response and you're off to the races. If they, if they announce and that's so much money, no, I, I agree. If they were to announce, you know, next week on raw Austin's live in Chicago, but if that's all they said, I would fly. There oh, immediately. God, yeah, right? Like, I would be tempted to fly to fucking Chicago because you know what's coming and buy a scalp ticket. No, I, I, I agree. But, but you know, even if even if it's not Punk, I mean, is, is John, really, realistically, is, is John Cena the only other guy that he can make big money with 
pretty much? Uh, no. If we uh, let it, let us say that the Undertaker does not face Brock Lesnar and is not reti- the other big match is the double retirement match. Two old war has the horses out for one last uh, one last rodeo in their hometown. Wow, I mean, that, that would be something. amounts to their hometown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, home state, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think Taker Austin is probably uh, also a very big money match. Yeah, they just kind of and Austin anyway on his show has been on record as saying I never had the match I wanted with Taker. Yeah, no, that, yeah, he, yeah, he's always said his matches with Taker were not that great, and he he always kind of regretted. Yeah. The matches that he had with them then, which is a bummer because you know watching um uh, watching them at that uh, ninety eight the SummerSlam uh, which I watched just um because I was doing that interview with Ed yeah um I like that match a lot I like a lot of their matches a lot yeah no it was it was a good one that was a that was a big event and the match I thought was was fine I mean obviously. They're 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 workers and and they can obviously pick shit out that we'll never figure out. But yeah. I mean, that oh, yeah. I mean on the service, I I really enjoy that. And you know what? You mentioned old guys and stuff like that. I, let's close it out on this. I there was a Hogan interview and look, I know it's crazy. Oh, God, yeah. I know it's look, I know it's crazy. I, I can hear in your voice, but <laughs> you know he 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 talked to uh, Brian Fritz of the Orlando Sentinel, but yep. uh, between the ropes, and and he kind of put it in perspective. Finally, the reason why he really is pushing for one more, and that was that he felt that. You know, the last people have seen of him in the ring wasn't what he wanted, you know, like the TNA stuff, although I would argue very few people saw that. But, you know, the last couple things he did, and, and he, it seemed like I, the impression I get is he really wants to have that just one more actually really good match and just work his ass off and, and do something really great. Is that even in the realm of possibility, or is this just a ridiculously bad idea to put him in that ring with his body? I, I, I give it to you. What do you think? Uh, I, I mean, look, look, it seemed, it seemed pretty obvious from the, the interview with Brian, who, by the way, is doing some of the best interviews, uh, uh listeners can find right now. Uh, Did you see Bray Wyatt? For Between the Ropes. That Bray Wyatt interview was one of the best. Um, did you ever see the Christopher Nolan movie, The Prestige, about the ma- magicians? I did not. Yes, I did. Uh, I, did. I always say... The Prestige is the best movie about professional wrestling that's not about professional wrestling because mm-hmm. at its core, it's all about finding the gimmick and living it. Right. Um, yeah. And what that it's what first ran through my mind in watching Brian's interview with Bray, where he sort of is the character but isn't the character at the same time. Like his dedication to Bray Wyatt. Uh, is remarkable, and I just I like him so. I already you know this. I, yeah. I've oh, been yeah. a big fan of his since those original vignettes. Mm-hmm. Um, my admiration for uh, 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 Bray Wyatt as a performer uh, couldn't be higher, and a lot of it is based on his interview with Brian. Um, so he's definitely worth checking out. Of course. But uh, as to Hogan, it sure does sound like he's angling for Brock, and I just feel like. I think a one more Hogan match that is the right match is totally within the realm of possibility. I think Brock is quite possibly the worst possible <laughs> opponent if if um, if Hulk's looking to go out there and not just get killed. Uh, and I don't mean literally. I mean Brock. I'm, Brock, for all people talk about him, uh, uh, from what I understand from people who've been thrown through walls, is very good uh, <laughs> at protecting people. Yeah. Um, I, it's not that he would be killed for real, but 
in a story sense, you can't have any parody with Hulk Hogan and Brock no. Like, that's no. the wrong guy. What you need is... Uh, and this is the wrong match, but you need someone like Brian. No, you know who you need? Who's Seth that? Rollins. Somebody Seth. who can work around him and make him look great. And I think you need a, a smaller man for that. I, from Again, admittedly, from my, uh, from my never having fucking, I've taken a chomp, I think, is the, the sum total of my working. No, f- fair enough. Well, I know, I know the other guy he's kind of been saying is, is Cena, but I mean, that's just... I don't know. I mean, Casino's not. I mean, he's good, but he's. I, I don't know that those two together would would dance well. I, I, I just don't know about that. I I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's a bad idea, and I think especially a babyface babyface respect match. And look, Cena would be booed as the heel. I think most likely. Certainly. Um, I'm. You know, the this is this is sort of it's the backlash to the backlash, right? The Cena you can't wrestle um thing. I think is largely bullshit. Uh, he got a, a, a good and exciting match out of the great Khali, um, yeah. who is an adorable man and who I like a lot, but who nobody is ever going to accuse of being a fine worker. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's there's money in that, but it doesn't feel like a WrestleMania match to me, right? Yeah, I, I'm I'm just very odd about that. Like I like your idea more of just like a smaller, younger guy who can kind of create all the movement and and really make it interesting. Seth Rollins, you know that that. Uh, that, you know, being a heel, I think the two of them would, would play really nice together, I think. I agree. Just just me, but look, god damn, god damn, pal, we've gone... God at, damn it, man, we've, where's we, the time go? I need a, I need a beef roll-up. I know, we, we've gone... Catch we've, up. we've gone nearly an hour ten, um, and I've, I've just had a great time. I, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on and doing the show, being the first guy, and I this is an encouragement to all the listeners of this show that, again... You know, we're not nine ninety nine. We're two ninety nine on our membership side, and you can hear some of the previous stuff Alex has done with us. That's just fantastic, goddamn pal. Some good stuff. Uh, knee slapping, knee slapping. Wrestlinginformer slash membership. Check that out. And Alex, thank you so much. And where can people find you? What do you want to plug? Let's do that as well before we go. <laughs> uh, you can listen to my random bullshit uh, at Alex D Greenfield on Twitter. And uh, I'm going to beg you to uh, to come on the show late this year and early next year because I've got two movies in post-production. One's going to be on Sci-Fi Channel and one, please let it find distribution. Uh, a horror movie and a disaster movie are both going to be coming out uh, late in the year and early, or late this year and early next year. Well, keep me, keep me posted on that because on our other show, The Shoot, now that we don't talk about wrestling, we talk about everything else. So, you know, keep you me go. posted. I'll come on. Yeah, keep me posted, yeah. man, and we'll, we'll talk about it and... We'll get it out there. I'd love to see what you're doing on on the other side of that stuff. Thank you so much, Alex. We do appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Wrestling Informant Radio. See you next week.